0: Hi, this is Claude B. And this is Bird, and together we are Two, Two Bees Pod. And we're just a couple of old bees talking about life, love, surviving, and thriving through the everyday trials of
1: adulting as older millennials. We definitely don't have it all figured out, but we're doing it anyway. The following story contains information about sexual assault, as well as personal accounts from survivors, which may be triggering.
0: You're welcome to listen, but you're also invited to take care of yourself and listen when you're ready
2: we're back
0: hey b hey lady how are you today i am tired and worn out and just freaking drained (laughs)
1: yourself same
0: is it is it for why i am probably
1: some similar reasons yeah
0: yeah the
1: state of the world or maybe not the world the state of Us, our country, and the happenings.
0: Yeah, well, the country has watched mainly women have watched the news or avoided the news because of the Supreme Court nominee. And over the last few weeks, it's only gotten worse than we expected. Probably we could expect because, you know, white men. But uh, the last few weeks, women have bravely come forward And shared their experiences or what they witnessed um, of how that individual treated women in high school and college. Most likely after. And so we've been hearing more stories. And it's been rough. It's only gotten worse and worse. And it's still not over. But it kind of... I think last week it was a really heavy week. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Yeah, and he's not anyone that we want to name, Mm-mm. right? Right. Did you want to Kevin? Nope. So that's what we're calling him, or, or Kevin? The, cool, mm,
0: <laughs> the cooler version.
1: Um, but it's just not someone we want to give space and energy to in that way. So we don't want to name this person. Um, instead, we want to. Lift the survivor who came forward and courageously shared details of her assault and was essentially put on trial, even Mm -hmm. though we were consistently told that she was not put on trial. As advocates, as someone who's been through trial, we know what that looks like. And that's very much what that looked like.
0: Yeah, that was not trauma-informed. It was not compassionate. It was just one side of the Judiciary Committee trying to protect themselves from showing who they really are and victim blaming. Mm -hmm. But it was very much similar and a very good insight into what victims experience in courtrooms. Right. It's not
1: out of the norm. Yeah. For survivors, yeah. Yeah. So, um, because of that... What's been happening this week with the hearing and even before that, a lot of people, just women all over the internet, Mm. had come forward and shared their own experiences under a specific hashtag um, of why I didn't report. Yeah. And that hashtag came about because of... An ignoramus tweet. Yeah. Someone else, another white man... Another perpetrator. In power.
0: Appointed to... Perpetrator in
1: power. Is that a thing? It is now. It should be. Yeah. So. So, yeah. Appointed to a high, to the highest mm. office.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, he tweeted out something, right?
0: Yeah. Basically, I don't know, What would you call it? Mocking? But kind of saying like, oh, if... Everything
1: he says is oh, mocking right. and childlike. Yeah. And yeah.
0: Trying to say if... I look forward to seeing the report if something really happened. It's all in this very, like, yeah,
1: okay. Uh Yeah, right. (laughs) Oh, I know you are. What am I? Right. That's the tone of all his messages, all his tweets. So he implied that if someone was really assaulted Mm. or raped, if someone had really been a victim of sexual violence, that they, of course, would have reported. Yeah. Because why would you not report?
0: Mm. I don't know.
1: And so... Um, because of that, survivors all from everywhere, um, shared all their experiences of why they did not report all of the many reasons of why a survivor will not report. Um, and there's so many nuanced reasons as to why, but as we saw in that quote unquote hearing, one of the biggest reasons is that when you report a sexual assault, you're put on trial. Mm -hmm. It's rarely the defendant, um, and even more so, it's very rare that anyone is really prosecuted for sexual assault because it becomes he said, she said.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, yeah, just the survivors put on trial, just like we saw with the hearings. Yeah. So because of that, we wanted to take a different approach to this episode. Yeah. And do something a little bit different. But um, y- you watched the hearings?
0: I watched... The hearings, yeah, I watched um I watched Dr. Ford's continuously and I didn't care to watch his and when I got to work, you know, we were getting media requests and of course everyone was watching it, everyone was talking about it. So in between, you know, getting stuff done, we watched what he was saying, yeah. how he was acting and kind of glad I was I work in a place that everyone is pretty much on the same side that you're on and just as appalled at how he behaved and things he said. Um so I did sit through it but that was something that I don't know. I felt like I could do in the setting I was in but right. it makes sense why a lot of people <clears throat> didn't watch any of it. Right. Did you end up watching
1: i watched um i watched her i don't even know is it her testimony Mm -hmm. i guess
0: yeah
1: um so i watched her portion of it i felt like that was important and i tweeted this that i just felt like it was important um as a survivor to support another survivor Mm -hmm. to support survivors from all walks of life worldwide and it did feel at least in social media um and through my own friends, my friend groups, it did feel like um, out of this ugly thing, it was mm-hmm. a moment for survivors. It felt like a there was a sense of community. It felt like we were all sort of coming together to yeah. either watch this and process it together or to at least be there for each other. So I watched hers and I uh, did not watch it yeah. because I just could not subject myself to that. Um, I heard a lot about it and I'm glad that I didn't watch it Yeah, um, because it's just the same old story of a man, excuse me, a man um, trying to paint himself as the victim, trying to excuse his behavior, uh, make it less than what it is, make the victim less than what they are, uh, minimize the victim's experience. So... I refused to watch his portion, but I did watch hers in support of hers. And again, I just like you, I understand. I had people who said, I can't watch this. Like mm-hmm. I was posting stuff on my stories on my Instagram. Um, and people were saying like, I can't watch this. And I, my response was like, I'm watching it for you. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I get it. Like, I understand if you can't subject yourself to this, it's triggering for people. Yeah. Um, so that's why I'm watching it.
0: I, Felt that same way that there was more overwhelming support than there was negativity.
1: Mm.
0: Or maybe people were censoring themselves as they freaking should. Or it could just be
1: the communities and the groups of mm. people were around. Which know? is
0: probably a good sign. Yeah. And I I got a lot of support from people who know that I've gone through trial and experienced this. And mm-hmm. how that part was triggering for me. And so I had people reaching out, like, recognizing that. So I appreciated that. Yeah. It's nice when people can see that they know that this will impact us. Mm-hmm. And they don't say, well, it's not you get over it, but they're being supportive. and Yeah. It says a lot about the well, people.
1: Well, you and I were texting to mm. do it. Now I just remembered. <laughs> yeah. Um, So that was good. Like, just yeah. sort of knowing that I had someone that I could um, check in with about my feelings and... Um, about what's going on, and we were just, like, texting each other angrily about
0: yeah.
1: the way she was being questioned.
0: Yeah. I'm being very, it was very confusing for me. I know that the prosecutor was sent there.
1: Right.
0: But I couldn't understand how someone who prosecuted sex crimes could seem, I don't know, jaded and, like, uh, yeah, you know?
1: hmm
0: I couldn't figure her out. And then it was just, like, you really are there to fit their agenda. You're not there for the victims that you've served. I guess just one of the
1: things that struck me is just how composed she was. And how Dr. Dr. Ford. Ford. Yeah, how composed and just, like, how intellectual she was. And how the memory on this woman. And I guess that's, like, what she does. That's her research is, like, that's the type of research she does. So she's, like. She's a psychologist, right? She's, like, you know, I don't really I know no, but I know that um, I've heard people say or read that people will say that she researches like memory and things like that mm. so like she has all the terminology so it's just, like she's like
0: she was her own expert witness
1: yes mm. like she is like the expert witness like she's serving you some like mm. serious scientific
0: hippocampus bitch
1: <laughs> exactly so um it was good because it's like as much as survivors question she had all these facts and details and yeah. she was able to say like no hold yeah. on that's not what i said blah 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 because yeah. we know how easy survivors can be railroaded mm. and we know how easy survivors can be torn down because of lack of knowledge in the system or lack of knowledge in x y or z or because of appearance or because of anything right yeah. so um it, it was just like really empowering to see how she presented herself and she kept I just thought it was funny. how she kept, like, asking for coffee or whatever. Caffeine. Caffeine, yeah, yeah. And then she had Coke. And I was like, Coke, sponsor her. Yeah. (laughs) Something. (laughs) But, yeah. So that part was empowering for me.
0: Yeah. And I I think you could tell... Well, she kept saying, like, she didn't want... No one wants to be there, but she was doing mm-hmm. it for... She gains nothing from yeah, it. Yeah. She was mm-hmm. doing it for probably her 16-year-old self. Mm-hmm. Right. All the other 16-year-olds in the world that are still experiencing this and just everyone who's felt like they... And she said because you know, she knew course.
1: it was right. Yeah. And she
0: knew it was right. She wasn't going to say
1: anything to anyone. She hadn't really disclosed it publicly, but she knew that... This was the right thing to do. Yeah. She's gotten death threats. They've had to relocate through very times. So they have a security detail. Like, yeah. she's gaining zero from this. Yeah. You know. And, you know, as a white woman, she does have a little bit of a, you know, not a little bit. But she has an upper hand.
0: Yeah. But she knows that.
1: She knows that. Yeah. So, just kind of uh, wanted to put that out there. And, yeah. like, acknowledge that and hold space for all the survivors mm-hmm. who are in different um, position survivors of color who um, never get that chance yeah survivors without the means to mm. move around and you know true um, so yeah. yeah I just wanted to say that
0: makes sense with everything we just talked about and how much we value storytelling and how important that is in general for people to listen but for us to tell our stories I think we both thought about it when we were thinking of what to do next you know, it was a no-brainer that we wanted to give survivors space to share their stories.
1: Yeah, and this platform has sort of uh, I don't know if evolved, but mm. it's, it it is that for us. Um, a lot of what we speak about comes from our own personal experiences, survivors, and the knowledge that we have in doing that work. And so we wanted to space for survivors and mm-hmm. for what's going on now in the world um, with these hearings and with the current administration and the lack of importance that's given to survivors of sexual assault. Um, we just thought it was important to do something different and special for this episode of the podcast.
0: Yeah. And it's important for people to hear the stories of survivors. Yes. Especially for those who have sat with it for...
1: A long time.
0: A long time.
1: So, um, just a reminder that uh, these are first account stories from survivors themselves. Some are anonymous, some are not. Um, and uh, they may be triggering. mm mm-hmm to people who are listening, whether you're a survivor or not, you know, love a survivor, they may be difficult to hear. So just wanted to put that out there um, and give everyone the space or time to stop listening at this point Mm -hmm. if that's what they need to do. Maybe come back, maybe not. Um, But just know that what you're about to hear are first-hand accounts of survivors' experiences, why they never reported.
2: I'm thinking about Intergenerational Transmission of Trauma We were born here, but we inherit the scars of our parents and siblings who were there. Refugees of the Cambodian genocide. The person who did this came with my parents because his were killed in the war. It's hard to differentiate between what is oppression, what is postpartum, and what is everyday. Or have I always felt this way? My older sister got the worst of it. I don't know if it happened to anyone else in the family. I suspect my younger sister. But I don't know. My older sister confronted him. And I remember him apologizing. But my parents, I don't know what they did. All I know is He didn't face any consequences. That's why I didn't report.
3: As a child, I would love spending time with my grandparents. I would sleep over every weekend and try to be there just as much as possible because I loved spending time with them, having them by my side. On this day, I was seven years old. My grandmother was in the kitchen. My grandfather and I were in his bedroom watching TV. He tells me to get up and close the door, so I do as I'm told, and then I go lay back down. He then grabs my hand and places it inside his pants, and he begins to touch himself using my hand. I pull back out because I immediately felt uncomfortable, and I knew it was something bad, but I just didn't know what it was. He then tells me to trust him and to not say anything. And he grabbed my hand forcefully and placed it back on his pants and began to touch himself again. I couldn't help but cry, but I couldn't move because I was just in shock and I was so scared. Eventually, I just couldn't take it and I ran out of the bedroom, and I went to my grandmother and I told her what had happened. All she did was slap me, and tell me that it was my fault. And she sent me back to the room with him, and she told me, "Stay in there." I never told anyone because I was just scared of what would happen to me and what would happen to my grandfather. Because at the time, I did—I still loved him. I didn't know what had happened. I didn't know it was wrong until I finally said something when I was ten years old, but I didn't report. Because he was family and I felt bad that I would be the one putting him in jail.
4: My name's Yvette. I was just a child. I was seven years old. It was a year after my mother died by suicide. It was a family member. I was too afraid and I was dealing with the death of my mother, so I just stayed quiet. I was 12. It was someone I trusted, someone who I thought cared about me. I was ashamed. He led me to believe I asked for it because my body was changing. He threatened me that if I told anyone, I would get taken away. Three years later, I finally broke my silence. I was not believed. My friends turned their backs on me. Some family members refused to believe it. Some never knew about it. I felt disgusted, embarrassed, guilty, so I had... Attempted to take my own life. Days later, I got taken away and placed in the foster system. Just like he said would happen. The defense attorney called me a liar. I shut down. I refused to be a cooperating victim. Case dismissed. I was 16 in the foster system, a system set up to protect me. But it failed to protect me from sexual violence. This time, though, I fought back and ran away. I lived in the streets, home to home, sometimes with friends, just trying to survive. I was 20 years old. I just wanted to have a normal life. I felt that there was no way out. I was confused and angry for the longest time. I was told that I was making things up and that I deserved all that had happened to me and just to deal with it. That's why I didn't report again.
1: The first incident was about 30 years ago. Today is my 36th birthday. It lasted until I was nine or 10. It started out with one teenage boy, and he told other boys as an invitation for them to do it as well. One other boy took it, uh, took him up on his offer. It wasn't every day, but it was too many times to count. I didn't want to get in trouble for being alone with boys. 20 years later, I finally told my mom. She cried. I set boundaries for further contact with the initiator. She agreed. My boundaries were ignored. I reminded her again last year. She cried.
5: My boundaries were
2: once again ignored.
5: My name is Nicole and I was 18. I was a freshman in college hanging out with the wrong crowd. I was a virgin and grew up in a Christian home where I was taught sex was for marriage only. He was my boyfriend at the time, and the relationship moved physically quickly. I was raped on a playground jungle gym at a park in broad daylight, and the only thing that made him stop was when a family showed up and got out of the car. He threatened that he would would tell everyone I was a slut, and that I was the one who wanted to have sex if I were to tell anyone. Honestly, I was afraid he was going to hurt me even more if I even uttered another word. That was November 22nd, 2005. I didn't tell anyone until four months later, but I swore that person to secrecy out of fear and shame. I didn't tell another soul until seven years later in therapy. I didn't want to upset my parents. I didn't think anyone would believe me or take me seriously. That's why I didn't report.
6: So my name is Mala and the reason why I didn't report is because I didn't remember And I didn't realize that what happened to me, uh, was sexual assault until later. So I was in college and like a lot of, um, women in college, I drank a lot and I partied a lot and all of my friends drank and partied too. And friends that I knew in high school or in elementary, as well as new friends in college, and uh we would all share stories with each other offhanded stories intentional stories um but we would share with each other i think because on some level we had to get it out and we knew that what was going on was not cool but we didn't conceptualize until later i remember there was one night um this guy was visiting campus from california and i had hung out with him once before And, um, the other guys there on campus who knew him were joking with me that, oh, when so-and-so gets here, you know, you're going to hook up with him. You're going to hook up with him. He likes you. You know, when he gets here, you guys are going to hook up. And I laughed them off and I said, no, 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 that's not going to happen. And me and my friends went out and we went drinking and we drank way too much. And, um, we went back to campus and we wanted to keep partying and so we ended up at this house with these guys and, um, they were still awake and they were wanting to party and the whole thing. And I was definitely at this point blackout and I don't remember very much. Um, but my friend who was there with me filled me in on some things the next day. And what ended up happening was both of these guys ended up being really aggressive. And one of them took me into one of the bedrooms and, um, had sex with me and my friend, uh, the other guy took her into the kitchen and tried to like, you know, forcibly kiss her multiple times and she didn't want to. And then she tried to come get me from the room. Uh, but the door was locked and the other guy who was with my friend was like blocking her from the door and wasn't letting her get in. And she tried to wait for me, but it was late. And she, everyone was tired. And so she went home. And I do remember it being six in the morning and wanting to go home and um, not being able to, like not being allowed to go home. And then him like insisting on walking me to my dorm. And then just spending, I just remember spending the entirety of the next day just in my bed um, and just sad and feeling fucked up and terrible and being really hungover and not remembering much. And my friend filling me in on what happened. And then I guess this guy had my phone number. I had given it to him at some point. And, um, that next day I had just stayed in my dorm and locked myself in and people were still going out cause it was the weekend and I was alone in my suite in my, in my room with all the lights off. And he texted me like, Oh, I'm in your tower. I'm in your building. Do you want to hang out? And I didn't. And again, at the time I didn't, I didn't recognize it as sexual assault or whatever. And so I just ignored it and just hoped that it would go away and never saw him again. And then I didn't report it. And it probably wasn't until I started working at peace over violence and I took the counselor advocate training and I realized that the series of events were not right. Um, and, uh, I, it made me think of other incidents and other encounters and interactions. Um, And how they maybe weren't all the way consensual. So that's my story of why I didn't report.
0: Thank you to everyone who's taken the time and energy to listen to this incredibly important story. And an even bigger thank
1: you to the six survivors who have shared their own personal accounts with us. Thank you for sharing your story. And to any other survivors out there with a story to share in their heart. We believe you, we support you, and we see you thanks for listening. Follow us on all socials at 2 Pod. That's T-W-O-B-S-Pod. Tell your friends and your friends' friends. More importantly, tell your followers and your haters. Bye! Before we fully sign off, we know that we have talked about a topic that may be triggering to some. If you or someone you love has experienced sexual or domestic violence, there is support available. There are resources both over the phone and online.
0: For domestic violence, the national hotline is 1-800-799-SAFE, 1-800-799-7233, or online at thehotline.org. For sexual violence, the national hotline is 1-800-656-HOPE, 1-800-656-4673, or online at rain.org, R-A-I-N-N.org.